Welcome to Kids Considered, where two pediatricians discuss children's health topics of interest to parents in a podcast with new subjects considered every episode. I'm Dr. Lena Vanderlist. And I'm Dr. Dean Blumberg. And we're both pediatricians at UC Davis Children's Hospital in Sacramento, California. So I want to start off the podcast today with a story that that really, you know, an experience, I should say, that really shook me recently. So about a month ago, the community health center that I work at was giving away naloxone. And some of you may recognize it as the brand name Narcan. They were doing sort of a harm reduction training initiative, and they encouraged providers to take them and keep them on hand. And so for those of you who have never heard of naloxone or Narcan, It's an opioid overdose reversal agent, and we're going to talk a lot about this more later. Anyways, I grabbed one, and I thought, oh, I'll just, like, leave it in my glove box of my car just in case. Never really in a million years did I think I would ever use it. And I had had sort of a later night at work, and I was driving home in my car, and I pull up very close to my house, a few blocks away, to a stoplight, and I was going to be turning left. And I noticed that a car had crashed into a like basically traffic light and I was one of the first people there so like the person had come out of their house and so I rolled down my window and I'm like I'm a physician do you think you need help and they're like yeah and so I get out of my car and I come over and we pull a person um out of the front of their car and kind of lay them next to the car as we're calling 911 and I noticed that this person sort of breathing is starting to slow and I'm examining the person and I shine my cell phone light into their eyes and they look really small and they're they're not really responsive and I think all of a sudden I'm just like oh my gosh I have to go get that that naloxone that Narcan that's in my glove box and so I get it we give this medication and Literally within minutes, this person is starting to respond, starting to answer questions, their breathing pattern returned to normal. And like, I still kind of shake when I'm telling this story because it was such an amazing, impactful moment for me as a pediatrician. I do think I have a role in in helping, you know, the trajectory of people's lives, but not many times have I felt like I really saved a life. And In this moment, I really do feel like I may have saved this person's life. And so after this experience, I I really have been thinking like, oh, my gosh, everyone needs to have access to this um, incredibly easy to administer life saving drug. So I wanted to use this platform, the podcast, to talk about this a little bit more today, although many people may not think of this as a traditional pediatric topic. I think it is still really important to discuss opioid overdose and specifically Narcan or Naloxone. And since I am nowhere near an expert in this topic, we invited Dr. Daniel Colby to join us today. Dr. Colby is an emergency medicine physician, and he has a focus in toxicology and addiction medicine. So Dr. Colby, thank you so much for joining us on Kids Considered today. Thank you for having me. So, I mean, I have this story that I just shared that was big in my life, but I'm sure you have a million of these stories. Is there any one particular experience that you have that that kind of gave you that aha moment like like I shared? 
Yeah, the, the, that's actually one of the more dramatic ones I've heard. So I'm so happy you were able to help that person. Um, for me, a, a story that people like is we had a few years ago, a big outbreak when fentanyl pills were first time being distributed in the Sacramento region. Um, cause we have a lot of people who use pills and, and less people than other parts of the country who inject drugs, um, inject heroin and, and things like that, other opioids. Um, and we had a patient who was really sick in ICU and their loved one came to visit them and saw how sick they were and fainted right in front of me. And we caught the person and we tried to arouse them because we thought that they were just so overwhelmed and they actually had just taken the same pill in the parking lot on their way up. And right in the ICU, we had to administer naloxone. Luckily, that's a good place to have an opioid overdose is in the hospital. Um, but that one was just one where just, I'm like, this is, this is pervasive. It's, it's everywhere. And that was, um, you know, a few years ago now, and now it's even a bigger problem. So Yeah, you can't always depend on Dr. Lena driving by if you're out in public, so better to be in the hospital, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, so let's start by reviewing what opioids are and what are they traditionally used for in, in medicine? Great question. O opioids are a fabulous medication. If someone comes in the hospital and you broke your leg, you have an appendicitis, you have a bad injury, you're in severe pain, opioids are probably what we're still going to start with. Uh, we use it in adults, in peds. Um, they're incredibly potent medications, and they do a great job of relieving acute pain. Um, they hit opioid receptors. Some of them are made actually from a plant, opium, and the poppy seed. Mm -hmm. And so those are considered opiates, like classic ones like morphine. And then we now we have synthetic ones that are even more potent and a little more complicated, like fentanyl and methadone. Those are opioids that are not actually made from the poppy plant. Yeah, so just like you mentioned, they definitely have their role in medicine. Um, and when they're being misused potentially or overused is when we can run into some trouble. And I think a lot of, of parents or our listeners have seen a lot of scary press lately about fentanyl specifically. Like you mentioned the fentanyl pills. There was a lot of press about it looking like candy or being like labeled and so kids maybe like finding it in their Halloween candy or, or something like that. Is this actually something that parents should be worried about? Is it a big problem? I don't want to say it's it's not a problem at all. It's just not what we're seeing. Um, it's a problem for adolescents who are trying drugs with the intent to use them, but we're not having a situation where dealers are putting brightly colored fentanyl pills in Halloween candy or anything like that because it doesn't make sense to to try to poison children and to use lose your product. It doesn't make good business sense. If you're a drug dealer, it doesn't make sense to do that. Um, so it's just not what we're seeing. Um, I'm not saying there's zero risk, but overall the coverage of it, unfortunately, has been quite hyperbolic and a little bit scare tactic. There's a whole bunch of concern here and people are dying, but we really need to make sure we understand how they're dying, why they're dying, and making sure we're helping the right people versus if we just say fentanyl scary, any anything about fentanyl scary, we actually could cause more harm because we stigmatize the drug and the people who are using the drug. And the people who are using the drug, I guess the other, the other reason I wanted to talk to everyone is the people who are using drug, adolescent, adults, they're worth saving. Um, they're, even though they're using a drug um, and they may have a substance use disorder, they're worth saving. And so that's why we need to kind of unpack some of this a little bit. So can you talk about that? Can you talk about opioid use disorder and how common it is? And is it a problem that's unique to adults? And you mentioned that some teens may have that too. Yeah, we're seeing more and more teens. It's becoming a bigger part of my practice. Um, I get called from our addiction medicine service to patients presenting to our emergency department. We have children in juvenile services, and we have children at fancy suburban homes all using fentanyl. They're buying it off Instagram. So that part is scarier to me, um, that it's so easily accessed because we have so much fentanyl in our community. Um, how does this work? People often develop 
uh, first word I want to use is opioid tolerance. Um, they, they, they start using an opioid, maybe it was prescribed to them, maybe not, and they all of a sudden need more to have the same effect, whether that be pain relief or, or to feel good. Um, and then there's something called opioid dependence, um, and that's when if you stop taking a medication like an opioid, like fentanyl, all of a sudden you go into withdrawal. Um, but that's not technically still addiction yet. That's not opioid use or substance use disorder. Substance use disorder, opioid use disorder occurs when all of a sudden you start doing things that are harmful to yourself, taking more and maybe getting to the point of overdose. So you have overdosed, um, harming your relationships with other people. There's all this criteria for opioid use disorder. Um, what's really interesting about our teens is sometimes they're jumping straight to the opioid use disorder part. Um, they're buying a couple of pills. It's incredibly potent. Um, unfortunately, fentanyl has replaced most of the opioids people are buying on the streets now. Um, it's even people who think they're doing heroin. Now they're usually using fentanyl because we have so much of it in our community. Um, and, and teens are just jumping straight to the take a couple pills and have an overdose. So that's really concerning, especially many of these families don't have Narcan in the home. Previously, we had done an episode with one of our neonatologists here covering neonatal opioid withdrawal syndrome. Um, so definitely check out that episode. It's definitely a problem that can affect all ages, you know, you just mentioned teens, older individuals, and this talks about how newborns can be born affected. But like you mentioned, fentanyl is the major one in the community that's that's being more likely to be abused. So why does this specific medication, the synthetic opioid fentanyl, so high risk for an overdose? Yeah, it's, it's really potent. That's the biggest piece. So uh, back when we had that big outbreak a few years ago, we, we published, uh, we had one pill um, that had 6.6 .6 milligrams of fentanyl. And for people who use fentanyl in the hospital and a child, we might give 20 micrograms. So we're talking like hundreds and maybe thousands of doses in one pill if, if the person making it um, does not do a good job because these are not made by a pharmacist or, or a company, right? They're made in, in someone's garage. And so the dosing can be off. Um, fortunately, um, the local drug distributors um, have gotten a little better at this since then in the past few years, so it's less common. But technically, I tell my patients every pill they're using because it's so potent is a little bit roulette. You're you're trusting that the person who pressed it into a pill form from the powder that it arrived in did a good job and didn't too put, to put too much in there. So that, that makes it incredibly dangerous. That's what I mean. You kind of hear like that one pill can kill mantra about fentanyl. So you would agree with that, that that would be possible. Absolutely. And we see it all the time. Um, and then the other piece that we see, and this is in adolescents and adults, is um, people who overdose, their risk of death in the next several months is really high. It's like 5%. Um, and one of those reasons is they might go back and use the same dosing they were before, but maybe their tolerance that I mentioned earlier is not as high anymore. So they use the same dose that they did a week ago when they overdosed, and now their body can't take that dose. Um, and so they, they overdose and unfortunately die. Instead of like building up the tolerance. Correct. Oof. Okay, so I think this is a good segue talking more about naloxone, that opioid overdose reversal medication. Um, I am now a complete believer that everyone should have access to it. Interestingly, I don't know if you remember this, Dr. Colby, but a few months ago, maybe six months ago, I was on an email chain with you because I had reached out a teen parent of one of my patients had asked me for a prescription for it because of sort of the the news coverage of fentanyl. And so I I didn't really know anything about it at that time. And I felt a little weird about prescribing it as a pediatrician. So I think I had emailed my emergency medicine colleagues asking if it was appropriate for me to send. Do you remember what you said? 
I said, let's get it out there. We need more of it on the streets. Everyone needs to have it. I carry it. I have it in my backpack next to me here. <laughs> I have it in my car. Um, I think it should be like defibrillators or like in the airport where there's a defibrillator, you, sh- you should open up and next to the defibrillator should be Narcan. That's malls everywhere, stadiums. <laughs> yeah, that is what you said. You said, I quote, I give it to everyone who asked for it and more. I carried my backpack, my car at all times. It will save more lives than a defibrillator. And, you know, that, yeah, you stand true to that. So I think I think that's amazing. And I think more people are are coming around to your side. So just this month, February 2023, a joint FDA advisory panel unanimously voted to recommend that the FDA approve it to be available over the counter, which would be huge. You know, of course, asking your doctor for something, especially like that is a huge barrier to access. I don't think most people would feel comfortable asking for that. And so, I mean, I think we all are hoping that 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 comes to fruition soon. Yeah, and in most states now, you can also go to the pharmacy and just just ask for it. It's still behind the counter, um, but you can ask for it and purchase it, and then the cost may be variable. Uh, but yeah, we're really trying to get it over the counter, and and we need to destigmatize the medication because there's a pause. Everyone thinks, oh, if I have this, does that mean that people are going to think that I I use drugs from the street? Right? That's that's kind of there's a stigma around the medication because we've compartmentalized it because we made it special. You only get it if you really need it. Um, I have patients all the time that I prescribe it to them and they actually message me or call me and say, why did you prescribe me this drug? I'm not, I'm not a drug user. Um, and I tell them I prescribed you an opioid for your broken ankle, just took two days worth. And when I prescribed you medication for that, that are opioids, I include Narcan every single time. I don't even think twice about it. Yeah, for sure. And and now like really any healthcare provider or anyone that may ever be in a first responding situation, same thing. I mean, now I was like, oh my gosh, I need to get more of this. I need to give it to my <laughs> husband. Um, so can you talk a little bit more about uh, naloxone or Narcan and its specific mechanism of action, why it works? It it goes in there immediately and finds all your opioid receptors and it binds stronger to the opioid receptors than even fentanyl or any of these other opioids and pops it off and replaces it. So it it, it kind of rips it off immediately um, and can make someone within moments to minutes that overdose on an opioid, it can make them suddenly wake up and breathe and be alive. Um, So it's pretty incredible in that regard. Dr. Lena talked about some of the um, signs and symptoms of an opioid overdose that she noticed, the decreased level of consciousness, um, the looking in the eyes with a flashlight and noticing that the pupils were very small. Could you talk about some more about the signs of an opioid overdose that might signal to a person that it'd be a good idea that this would be a good time to administer Narcan? Yeah, and and uh, the fancy medical term we use is toxidrome for everyone listening out there. It sounds cool. I know you all know that, but I just want to mention it's a toxidrome. An opioid toxidrome would be someone coming in uh, that you notice um, you find on the street, in a car, in in your neighborhood, um, in the in the hospital, who's really having shallow breathing or not breathing at all. You mentioned the pupils. Um, they might have cool and clammy skin, um, and you can't really arouse them whatsoever. So it, it can be kind of subtle. But what's nice and to kind of bridge to the next piece is that um, if you give them naloxone and Narcan, whether in the hospital or in the field, it doesn't hurt them to try. So if it's possible that the person is is down and, and not breathing very well um, because uh, because of an opioid overdose or opioid toxicity, you give them naloxone and it doesn't hurt, um, which, is, which is great. Um, so we do all the time in the hospital and sometimes it works and other times that wasn't the problem. Um, obviously, you want to do your typical things that if, if you've been trained in, BL, in BLS, basic life support, uh, checking pulses and, and CPR. But all these patients, they'll have a pulse um, for now, but they're not breathing. Um, these are not patients who are sh- saying they're short of breath. Um, you'll see that on the news sometimes. These patients 
have a really depressed uh, mental status and respiratory status. They're they're sleeping, and they're not breathing well. They're 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 not taking big ga- gasps of air. They're just having really shallow breaths to the point where they just very slowly, gently, subtly stop breathing. So if they had a heart attack or had a concussion or a seizure or a stroke or something else, some other reason for that, and you gave them Narcan, no no harm done. Absolutely, exactly. That's the exact point. Yeah. So you can give them Narcan and then and then keep going, going down, uh, calling nine one one, all the other things that you want to do. Um, in the hospital, we give them Narcan, and we might start CPR. Or we might give other antidotes, do other tests. But Narcan is just a, one of the the pieces. If we suspect maybe this person overdosed on opioids, doesn't matter why or how, give them Narcan and don't worry about it. And if it works, like it did for you, you know, then mm-hmm. you're in a good oh, spot. Yeah, you are in a good spot. Yeah. So how how do you give it? That's a great question. Um, the type that you had probably was the intranasal. Yes, um, that's the most common one. So uh, just some squirts up the nose, kind of like a like a nasal spray, like a Flonase or something like that. That's really easy. The other two types you'll find on the market are um, just an injection into the muscle. And then there's also an auto injector, kind of like an EpiPen. Those are the three types that you'll see um, that you can purchase. And, and hopefully, uh, at least the nasal nasal spray, you'll be able to do over the counter shortly. Yeah. So the nasal spray, I I was like shocked by how easy it was. I will say for people that get it, it it does make sense to like open the box and just like look at what it looks like before. Um, Because I was like, I opened the box and grabbed it and like ran over and I was like, oh shoot, I wish I had taken this out of the box before. Like I had some training and, and knew what it was about, but it seriously is just like, you know, you put your fingers on either side of the nozzle and you just push. And just like you said, like a nose spray, it goes in and it's incredibly, incredibly um, easy to administer. And then what can what can most people expect? I only know my experience. And after I administered it, the person was actually, you know, slow to sort of respond, but started responding, started breathing. There was there was nothing violent. I've heard some people wake up really angry. So what can people expect after? And is there any like precautions you need to take after you give it? Yeah, the, the, this is a big topic because you'll see news reports about people giving um, naloxone and and uh, and maybe they touch an opioid or something like that and, and get it contact themselves. Um, it's it's maybe a little bit tough for me to say and let everyone know, but that's not really a thing. Um, so uh, touching it, it's not really absorbed. I've touched fentanyl numerous times. It's not really absorbed through the skin. This includes fentanyl you purchase from the street or in the hospital. Um, it's pretty much the same stuff. So you don't want to touch a bunch of powder and then put it directly in your mouth. Or snorted, <laughs> so that's true. Um, but otherwise, you can feel safe if you find someone in the situation you did. Try to save that person; they're worth saving. Uh, some people do get a little agitated when you rip off all the opioids by giving them Narcan, um, but you'll be safe; they'll be okay, and then you can call paramedics to deal with the rest. But that person needs life-saving intervention right now, um, and just like someone um, who who needs defibrillation from a from a AICD on you know um, on the street, in the same way, someone having a heart attack or something like that. They're worth saving. Someone who overdoses on on fentanyl and other opioid is worth saving. So it's safe to go re- reverse them with naloxone and you're going to be okay. Yeah, completely. And, you know, one thing I thought that was interesting, I, I shared my experience on, on social media and so many people were commenting about like, oh, like there's so many unhoused people in my neighborhood. I should get some of this. And I wanted to be like, this was not an unhoused person. This was a person in a car. This can be any any person, right? Like 
And all of these lives are worth saving. Uh, this could be someone's kid. This is someone's daughter. This is someone, you know, this is someone's best friend. Um, just like you mentioned, like we have an a, incredibly easy tool to to save a life and, and it's 100% worth doing and, and having on hand. Um, so if our listeners are interested in obtaining naloxone, I know you mentioned that right now most states or, or at least some states you can just go to a pharmacy and get it. Your physician can prescribe it. Any other methods for obtaining it? Yeah, there's some distribution organizations. So in our emergency department, we actually hand it to patients without a prescription. Um, and there's other distribution places like Harm Reduction Services, HRS in Sacramento. Um, SANE is another one. So there's different um, harm reduction services that you may have in your community. And they will just hand you naloxone free of charge. Um, you can Google some of them in your community. And um, yeah, in Sacramento, uh, HRS, Harm Reduction Services is a great one. Are there specific populations, you know, that you would say should definitely have it on hand? The adolescent, the teen um, use that's really blown up in the past couple of years has been remarkable. We had um, one patient recently and the mother asked me, you know, what can we do to prevent this from happening again? And I said, what do you mean? She said, this is the sixth time I have administered naloxone to my child. Wow. And that, that, that uh, teen, we, we worked really hard to, uh, luckily came to our emergency department where we have addiction medicine team, our substance use intervention team, and we were able to start that, that patient on uh, buprenorphine, Suboxone. 16-year-old was buying it off, off Instagram or something like that, but six times that she had used it. So, yeah, I mean, you can make the argument if you live near vulnerable groups like on house folks, um, it makes sense to have it, but I just think everyone should have it. If you have a teen in the home in this day and age, I would definitely have it. Um, and again, this is not, I'm not saying that someone's going to sneak candy inadvertently into your, into your child. This is, this is a teenager who is going experimenting. out and, and experimenting and trying new things and, and getting unlucky and overdosing. So, yeah. So, so I know you said like you, if you have a teen in the home, it's, it's good to have it. And I totally agree with that. What do you think about, about actually giving it to teens themselves? So like if your kids are teenagers, let's say, let's say you have a teen at home, how would you counsel them about not only, I think the dangers of opioids is important. Like, so how would you counsel your teenager about the dangers in the first place? And then how would you counsel them about this medication and, and when they may use it? Uh, I have, I have a four and two year old, you, you, you know, a couple of them. Um, uh, if, and when they get to that age, uh, I, I expect them, I, I'm going to give them naloxone Narcan to have in their backpack next to their pencils, um, to have at school. Um, and I, hopefully educate them so they, they don't try experimenting, but they might because that's what happens. Um, but at a minimum, what if their friend at school, after school, uh, at soccer practice, they find down um, and they'll have Narcan be able to save their life just like you saved that person in the car. So I, I think just having more of it in the community and, and just knowing, again, it's not about it's not about the stigma. It's not about who's using drugs and why they're using drugs. That's not the point. The point is we want our, our, our peop- people in our community to be alive. Totally. Dr. Colby, thank you so much for leading us through this super important discussion and for helping hopefully open the eyes of ears of our listeners to the benefits of this truly life-saving medication. If someone you know or someone you love is battling opioid use disorder, you can get them help. Call 1-800-662-HELP. Help 4357 is the end there. Thank you. Thank you. You know, we usually summarize our our discussions, but I think I can, I don't think we need a back and forth. I think I can summarize this in basically one sentence, which is that everybody, parents, you should have Narcan. Go out and get some Narcan, carry it with you, have it in the car, and have your teens um, get Narcan too. This could be a lifesaver. That wraps up this episode of Kids Considered. 
You can find more information on our website, kidsconsidered.ucdavis.edu. Follow us on Twitter at Kids Considered. And Instagram at Kids Considered. If you have feedback on this show or topics you would like us to discuss in the future, we would love to hear from you. Please call us. Our number is 916-915-3388. Or email us at kidsconsidered at gmail.com. Please rate us on iTunes or wherever you subscribe to your podcasts. Thank you for listening, and we hope you will join us for our next podcast. Kids Considered is sponsored by UC Davis Children's Hospital. 